Hey, what's going on, champs? I'm Erin Deliosa. Welcome to an Immigrant's Life podcast, my podcast about immigrants and immigration and everything in between. Thank you for listening and downloading the show, and thank you for supporting my dad. Another week, another story for an amazing immigrant. But before that, as always, I want to thank you for listening. If you are new here, welcome. And I hope you like it enough that you subscribe to it. Of course, you can find An Immigrant's Life on wherever you listen to your podcast. You can also find us on all the social media. If you want to see some cool artworks related to the episode, sometimes I post some clips or videos. Because apparently Instagram wants you to use Reel or what have you. So they'll promote your account more. However, I would prefer if you help me promote it by sharing, subscribing, telling your friends and your family. I will really do appreciate that. So that's out of the way. Now let's talk about the episode. This week's guest is a person I look up to in the podcasting world, and I'm truly honored that she came on to share her stories. Let me get to the point. So without further ado, let's get into the show. Isa, dalawa, tatlo. Today's guest is a youth counselor, an entrepreneur, and a podcaster. Coming from the Emerald City of Washington State by the way of Tierra de Gracia of Venezuela, everyone, please welcome Vero Wall. Hey! <laughs> I love that introduction. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you for coming on, Vera. And I thank you for appreciating the introduction. It's my, I'd like to think it's my signature. I love it. It's really unique. I, Thank you. I think it's great. Thank you. I appreciate it. Anyways, before we continue, would you like to promote anything? Sure. Yeah, I would love to promote my podcast. I'm also a podcaster. So for everyone that's listening, you might enjoy podcasts as well. So I have a podcast that also touches on immigration. It's called Modern Immigrant. And you can find it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. And we're also on YouTube if you prefer to watch our faces. <laughs> mm-hmm, of course. They want to see the yes. pretty faces. Exactly. If somebody it's more visual, then go ahead and do that. And with the podcast, we also have a project called Immigration is Good. So you can support immigrant causes. We sell some merch, shirts, stickers. So we're just kind of doing that work for immigration. That's amazing. You're a saint. I, I mean, same to you. You are also doing this amazing work. So. Nah, I just like talking <laughs> shit. <laughs> sometimes I listen to your podcast because I do listen to your podcast. And sometimes I'll be like, she's so professional. I'm just like so, you know. Oh, no, I feel like I'm, I, I'm very informal in my conversation. But I think people like that. Like people like, you know, honest conversations like this. I don't know, but I'm honest. My guests are honest. I don't know about me. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Nice. Exactly. So I've mentioned you're from Venezuela, but which part of Venezuela were you born? I was born in the capital, the city of Caracas. And yeah, I was born there and I was raised there and I lived there until I was like 24 years old. 24. Wow. Yeah. How was your life there? I feel like, I mean, I I think it was great until a point where, you know, things definitely got a little complicated in the Mm -hmm. country, the political environment and social 
in economic, it was like, you know, due to political and uh, our government. <laughs> I think, you know, someone have, I'm sure people have heard about Venezuela in terms of, you know, a lot of things went wrong. Mm. But my life there was amazing. Like, I always saw myself as a really proud Venezuelan, and I always wanted to live there. Like, I never consider becoming an immigrant or moving um even though I'm a daughter of an immigrant that was not something I you know I thought about as often until yeah things started to get a little more complicated and a lot of my friends were starting to leave like mm. a whole kind of movement started to happen in Venezuela where everyone was considering moving out which is not a normal right it's not very common that you see that happening to the point where like everyone left <laughs> and and that's how I kind of decided to. Wow. You mentioned that your dad's an immigrant. Where was he originally from? He was originally from Croatia. So he moved from uh, Croatia, Zagreb, to Caracas um, when he was 12 years old. Why Caracas? <laughs> because, long story, I guess. But, I mean, Caracas and Venezuela was... Uh, country of opportunities for a lot of immigrants and we have an amazing immigrant community and back then it was a place where you could arrive easily through the ocean and you can have like we have like an amazing weather in Venezuela there were amazing opportunities for people to start their businesses you know there was like an open uh, invitation for everyone to come mm. in so my grandpa saw that as a great opportunity as they were kind of fleeing their country um, which is interesting how history sometimes repeats itself. And, and then I had to kind of do the same under mm. different circumstances. But yeah. What do you mean? You said fleeing. Was there like a wire in their country? What was the yeah. reason? Okay. Yeah. It was also political. Um, and it was not safe for them to stay there anymore. And similar lack of opportunities. Not a, it, There was no freedom. And... So my grandpa was the one that first came to South America. And once he was able to settle, uh, he first settled in Argentina and then he moved to Venezuela for other reasons. Like it was easier to establish in Venezuela. Mm. And that's when he brought my grandma and my dad and my aunt and uncles um, to Venezuela. And that's where they, you know, I still have family that lives um, there from my dad's side. Like that mm. became their home. Okay, but your mom, she's originally from Venezuela? Yes. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah. You were saying uh, um, Venezuela is beautiful and everything. And I was saying that I was, there's one thing that Philippines and Venezuela has in common is they have won the most, like, multiple oh, yeah. Miss Universe pageant. That's this amazing. Is how, this is how I learned about Venezuela because we used to watch Miss Universe, whatever. Because of the Me women, too. obviously, I'm not going to fool around, right? And I always see the Venezuelans. I'm like, man, those are hotties. Like, every year, like, they're like, you know, there are years that some countries will send, like, ah, she are right. Venezuelans are just 12s, 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 12s. And most of the time, they win, right? Yeah, we have, like, an amazing, I don't know the number or the data, but it was, like, the most amount of crowns or the most consecutive, you know, like, there was like a very historical moment where one Venezuelan his universe handed the crown to another Venezuelan <laughs> in the stage. And it was like, imagine my country was like, this is the best thing ever. And mm. we were also going through like a very rough time mm. 
in those moments. So like seeing that happening was like a very, you know, like a pride mm-hmm. for Renaissance. Like at least one thing we have. <laughs> Something okay. good's happening. We're Something all dying, is- but at least one thing's happening. But yeah, people are really beautiful. I mean, this is ridiculous. But yeah. Oh yeah. Are beauty contests big deal in Venezuela? Yes. Yes, they are. And they're very ingrained in the culture too. Mm. I feel like every little girl talks about it. And every girl <laughs> at some point in their life was told that they could be there. <laughs> you know, you're not tall enough or you need to lose some weight. So it's very part of the culture uh, for good or for, or for worse. Mm-hmm. Can I safely assume that you were told too that you might make it? No. I, <laughs> I mean, you're not, pretty. I, I had that dream though. I definitely did. As <laughs> I every other girl, like we were like watching the TV and as you were talking like similar in your country, like everyone will gather around the TV at night to watch it and, you know, gossip about who was the prettiest and yeah, yeah. like that. And you're so, you're going to choose like, oh, I want Miss India or I want Miss okay. Jamaica, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or I like Colombia because it's our next door, right? Like, it's our neighbor. So we would, like, look at other countries that were similar, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Did you know that Miss Universe was owned by Donald Trump for, like, a few years? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I know that. How do you feel about that? Knowing now... Right. I feel like even back then, I was like, who's that guy? Right. Like, it it didn't seem like, I mean, it kind of makes sense that he was the owner of that, too. Now that I (laughs) have learned more a little bit about about his empire and the values that he holds, I Mm -hmm. think like, um, yeah, I mean, I definitely don't follow that as closely anymore since I'm here. Uh, I'm sure, but I want to, if you don't mind, I want to expand about this topic because there's there's a reason. So do you think Miss Universe is necessary or do you think it's just a misogynistic endeavor designed to exploit young women? Wow, that's a very, it's an interesting question. I don't know if it necessarily has only two answers, right? If it's only those two, like right or wrong, Mm -hmm. I think that. In terms of necessary, I don't know if it's necessary. I do think that, you know, everyone should have the opportunity to express themselves as they would like. And, you know, if it's arts, music, or other forms of art or modeling, or I think the issue that I'm seeing that maybe you're talking about exploitation is that we have, or at least historically, those beauty paintings had like a very unhealthy view of what beauty Mm. is right like there's some standards that I think has been have been very very damaging to like a lot of society so hopefully in the future not so far we can have an event like that where we you know treat women in a different way and and you know you can see women and people with different you know sizes and that look different and that they don't are all the same Mm -hmm. right and where we can celebrate women's beauty as more real and more realistic to actually the people watching because when I grew up watching those things I never felt like related to any of you know who (laughs) looks like that in the daily basis right no so yeah so I feel like it'll be great if you can like find some 
you know, some connection and mm-hmm. continuing to do those when you like, you know, value someone that's smart and that has a talent and that has a hobby and not such a plastic way, I would say. <laughs> We're not talking shit about the Miss Universe. I mean, they have good personality. They have talents too, but most of them are just pretty. Oh, yeah. That's it. Yeah. And that's the only thing that they are looking for. And again, pretty under which like who says what's pretty, right? Mm-hmm. And and under what idea? And I think that's what becomes the issue. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to see that, like you said, that oh, maybe someday there'll be like Miss Universe that different sizes and whatnot. But I'm like in my head, like no one's gonna watch that, right? Hopefully, <laughs> I, I will watch that. <laughs> Maybe, I don't I, know, man. Yeah, I, mean, I don't want to watch these ones anymore because, again, I don't feel, like, as connected. But yeah. we'll see. I mean, I think it's definitely, it's interesting to explore, like, what's the reason behind those contests and if they're good or not for the broader, you know, <laughs> society. Exactly. And let's leave them alone and let's focus on you. <laughs> um. So you mentioned that you were 24 years old before you moved. So I guess you went to college. Did you have a career in Caracas? Yes. So I'm a teacher. I was going to say I was, but I am a teacher. Mm -hmm. I just don't practice that profession anymore. But yeah, I went to college there for five years to a university in Caracas. And I also worked while I was going to school. So I did that for, yeah, about five years. And then I was able to work for like a year after I graduated while I was planning to come here. What uh, teacher for like elementary, high school? Yeah, so it's called early childhood. So it was Mm. uh, kindergarten, elementary, and up to first grade. That's the best because sometimes (laughs) I like to think of like, oh, I want to be a teacher. And And then I realize kids are hassles, you know, like, oh, if I'm gonna teach, Probably that age. That age, yeah, when they can't talk back that much to you <laughs> or argue the things you know or you don't know. Yeah, exactly. You know, mm-hmm. so you said it got became dangerous in your country. That's why you moved. How did you move to the U.S. and why did you choose the U.S.? Yeah, I so I moved to the U.S. under a program that's called Au Pair. Um, okay. I don't know if you have heard about it or yeah. talk about it in your show. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I can explain it really quick. So I had, I guess, why the U.S.? Again, as I mentioned before, I never thought I was going to immigrate. And if I was going to do it, it was going to be Europe because I had my dad's um, kind of connection background and I had the passport. Like it was easier in terms of, you know, paperwork, which a lot of immigrants have to deal with. But no, I, I picked I picked the most difficult uh, country to become an immigrant. Uh, but yeah, why the U.S.? I feel like I had a lot of friends and a, a lot of connections here. Mm. And I have one of my best friends in Seattle being mm. an au pair. And she went to college with me in Caracas. And there was like an election in Caracas, in Venezuela, that the government won again very unfairly. And the night that they shared the results was the night that I made the decision to leave. I remember my mom, we were all crying in my house because that day represented the, you know, we lost all hope that we're going (laughs) to change the government. Really, it was like, okay, if this person wins again, 
this is it. Like over. It was after Chavez's death. We were facing this opportunity. Okay, Chavez is not anymore around. Like we can have a new president. And the one that was elected was the same person that was supported by the Chavez government. So we were like, okay, this is it. And my mom said to me, like, you have to go somewhere. Like, this is not a place where you can have a life or mm -hmm. a future. It was really hard for me to hear her words, but mm. it was like a confirmation. Like I needed to hear that in a way mm -hmm. um, because it was in the back of my head. Like if this happens, <laughs> what am I going to do with my life? And I called my friend Patty and, and I was like, how do you do it? Like, how is Seattle? How are you being an au pair? Like, tell me about it. And she shared it with me and, you know, everything looked really fun. Like she was like, you know, I did it for this time. And you can work as a nanny under this au pair program. And then you can go to school. You can, like, make money and live in the U.S. And it sounded like such a perfect situation for me because I felt like I just needed, like, a year or two until things in Venezuela will get better. Mm. That's what I thought. Like, I just need, like, a break. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the You're break lying to yourself. Like, yeah, the break became like almost nine years and my whole life is here now. But that's how I came. Like it it seemed so much easier to move to a place where I already had a friend, mm. where I was coming in with a job. Like I didn't have the money to support myself without a job. And working in the U.S. can be really hard if you don't apply to programs like this one. Mm. And that program allows you to leave with the family as well. So yeah, it'll kind of match perfectly for what I wanted at the moment. Mm. If you could explain what au pair is to the, quickly to the yeah. listeners. So as I said, like when you're an au pair, you're pretty much a nanny or a babysitter mm -hmm. that lives in. It's actually called live-in nanny. So mm -hmm. it, you sign up like papers and a program and a visa that they give you under this program where the family is some sort of like responsible for you. So mm. you live with the family. This is a program that you can do for two years and you work for them, taking care of their kids. You know, in my case, I needed to teach them Spanish and do stuff like that. And they pay you and they also give you some money to go to college to do oh. like just courses. Like you just pick like um, continuing education programs. So I did a lot of English classes and classes. It was like you could really pick whatever you wanted on on like unless it's as long as it was within their money you could expend mm. and so yeah that's pretty much what an au pair is and i did that for two years that's the max that you can do it for okay was were you just a nanny or you also a housekeeper it depends on the house like ideally they need to respect like it's very clear what you're supposed to do but <laughs> as the question you ask, what do a lot of families do, right? Mm -hmm. They start to tell you, you could do this, you could do that, and we can pay you more. That was not my case. Like, I, I really was with two amazing families. Mm -hmm. um, I had to switch families because the first family was changing something in their life situation. Like, they got a divorce and they were going to whatever. Um, so I needed to go with another one and they were both here in Seattle mm. and they were great. They respected those boundaries. They knew that I was there to take care of the kids. Mm. But, you know, you hear a lot of different stories in the au pair world. 
Yeah, I know. I, yeah. And this, we have the same. Well, in the Philippines, it's just living caregiver. That's what they mm-hmm. call. But it's not really caregiver. It's like everything. It's everything. Exactly. Yeah. There was recently like a whole issue here in the country. I don't know if in Canada was like, I don't know if it like was broader than the U.S., but like a lot of au pairs were filing complaints and they sued the companies, the au pair mm. companies, because apparently, and I was not really active into this because I was not an au pair anymore. And I didn't know if I wanted to like go against my family since I had a good relationship with my family here. Mm-hmm. But um, it was pretty much like the complaint was that they really paid you below minimum wage um, and they make you do a lot of more work. Then. So exactly what you're bringing up, like it becomes an issue because this is an immigrant. This is a person that it's not in their home country. Mm. It's a person that's vulnerable, that doesn't know anyone here. And it's really easy for these families to abuse the conditions, right? Because you really depend mm. on the family that's hosting you. So I just feel like I want people to be conscious on that or if they want to become an au pair family to like really respect this person that's coming into their homes because it's a tricky situation. Yeah, <laughs> it is tricky because once you get there, you're like you said, you new country, you don't know nobody and they'll be like, oh, by the way, yeah, you can do these things too. And you don't know how to set those limits and you don't know what's part of the culture, right? Mm, like you don't want to mm. say no, like depending on where you come from, mm. you know, being confrontational might not be good, might be, you know, you don't want them to leave you without a home, right? <laughs> like you don't know anyone else. So mm. uh, I understand that a lot of our pairs would say yes to things they don't feel comfortable. And, you know, I... I And there's like different figures, like the au pair programs have like a coordinator that works with you. And so if you have complaints, if you have questions, you have this figure that you can count on. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was great. And I feel like because I moved here when I was already 24, I already had a career, like I had the ability to stand up for myself and say, I want this, I don't want that. But this program, you can do it as young as like 18 years Mm -hmm. old. Wow. So, yeah. I don't know the culture of Venezuela, but Filipino culture, we're very, we're very humble people mm-hmm. that we don't like bothering people. with. If there's like, you know, an employer, the employer says this, most often than not, we will say, oh, okay, it's fine. Exactly. We'll do it. Exactly. So I don't know how what your Venezuelan culture goes. No, we're like, we're completely the opposite. Like, <laughs> like, I feel like we need to step down a bit because we tend to be like in our culture, we tend to be very confrontational and mm-hmm. we would say things like, especially if there's like a culture around women that were like that, like women in, in Venezuela tend to be, you know, not easy to, you know, control and they would say things that they don't want and they would speak up. So I grew up seeing that and, and, you know, seeing my mom as a very independent woman and someone that was not going to take any shit from anyone. So I, I think that's something really positive, but it's definitely not something you see across Latin American countries. Like I'm speaking only for Venezuela. Mm -hmm. I know it can be different within the, 
the continent. Mm -hmm, for sure. So you said you went to school. How was your English when you moved to the U.S.? Um, I would say it was like medium. Okay. Like I was able to do the interview with the family. I did it mm. over Skype and they didn't speak any Spanish. Mm. So I was able to communicate, you know, I'm sure I made like a lot of uh, mistakes, but I was able to get myself to communicate, understand what they wanted from me, explain a little bit about myself. So it was mm. pretty, it was pretty good, but I don't know if you have this experience um, interviewing immigrants, but something that keeps coming up to my podcast and it's my case too, is that we all thought we spoke English <laughs> really well until we moved here. I was like, sure, I got this. And, you know, I did my interview and I got the job and then I came here and I started working with these two girls that they were like seven and nine years mm -hmm. old. And they were like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, they were calling me out. Like, you don't say that like that. You say like this. That mm -hmm. sounds funny. Like, they, no filter. I would cry. Like, oh my you God. cried? Yeah, I cried. Come like, on, would, they're kids. I would cry at night just being like, I, I don't know how to communicate myself. Like, I had a headache every single night. Like, at the end of my shift. I will be like, why am I doing here? Like, these kids are like not understanding me, making fun of me. They will even tell me, go back to your country. Like, they oh, did? Like, yeah. Jesus Christ. I'm not, I'm not joking. This is the first time I'm actually sharing this. But I was like, it's rough because you're like, you know, I came with the confidence. Mm -hmm. And then I started <laughs> seeing like, the things that people are not going to tell you. Adults are not going to say that to you, even if they think about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kids do. Kids are mean. <laughs> they don't mean. They just don't, they don't know the repercussions. They don't. know. Yeah. And, and I, I understood. And now that I look back and I know a little bit more about immigration, how that was like, I was in that process of, you know, adapting to a new culture. I was missing my home. I was. Mm. regretting the decision but not in the sense of like regret like i want to go back but doubting right mm. the second guessing like was this the right choice uh, and i think we all go through that in different levels mm -hmm. for a for a period i feel like you need to look at like how long is that lasting and if it's never going away to like kind of assess yeah the, the situation yeah, yeah, the the culture shock. It's just it takes mm -hmm. time. To be honest, there are still people that are still going through that, and they've been living here for years. True. I'm sure There's you know moments. people. Yeah, no, you're actually right. I think the culture shock. You're you're so right. Like it hits you different at the beginning. I feel because mm -hmm. everything is new, so everything is a cultural shock. But being an immigrant, I feel like you you go to these ups and downs all the time like you don't know when but in different moments also of your life you're facing different things that are new in that country as well yeah. so it's like a forever learning process i think <laughs> I, I still can't stop thinking about this little bitches telling you like hey <laughs> go back to your country that's like yeah i that sounds like a great idea at this moment uh, That's so yeah. funny. So now, obviously, you still speak with a little <laughs> bit of accents, which is actually I love. I love when people have a little bit of 
accent, you know, yeah, that it just comes out. Like when you say Caracas, <laughs> it's just like, whoa, what's up? You know, like your spice yes. comes out. That's amazing. So you said, oh yes, that's all I was gonna. Ask, sorry. Mm-hmm. What happened after the two years? What did you do? Did you extended it? Did you stay in the U.S.? What did you do? Yeah, that's a great question. So after the two years, by the end of the second year, I already knew I wanted to stay for longer. Like I wanted to extend my visa. And the only opportunity that I realistically had was to become a student. Mm. So I I had my degree from Caracas, but I was exploring the opportunity to be a student in the U.S. Like I always kind of wanted to pursue a master's degree or higher education. And at that moment, you know, I didn't have, again, the money, like I was able to save some money as an au pair. So I had like some money to pay off like a few quarters, but I was stuck on like, how do I apply? You know, you need to prove that you have the money to, you know, support yourself. And I didn't have any of that. So the family that was my au pair family, They became my sponsors for my wow. student visa. These I know. guys are amazing, except for these They, two bitches. The rest no, of the family. No, <laughs> so this is a different family because I okay. told you there were two. Okay, okay. So the second family, those kids never told me to go back home. I guess my English <laughs> was a little better by then. Um, and they are two moms, actually. They're two, oh. two moms that have two kids. And they just saw me like going into this, you know, I don't want to go back home. Like things back home were even worse than when I left. Mm. Um, and I was like, what do I do? What do I do? So they gave me this opportunity, which was amazing. And so I went to school. So I went to a community college to uh, here in Seattle to pursue a career in counseling Um, as a counselor, so I did that for like two or three years. It was like a certification that you can do when you already have your bachelor's degree. So Why you kinda, did you choose counseling? I chose counseling because I always wanted to be a counselor. Like I always wanted to be a psychologist. I actually studied psychology in Venezuela for one year. Mm. And then I switched to teaching because at that age, you're kind of like, I don't know, you're confused. You don't know and anything. my mom, my mom's a psychologist. My dad was a psychiatrist. Like everyone in my family is all about mental health. Uh, so I felt like I grew up, you know, seeing that being as a analyzed. Career. Being analyzed, <laughs> basically. Um, <laughs> which is great. Uh, <laughs> right. No, so I decided I wanted to go on that path and I did a certification to be a substance use disorder counselor. So mm. My specialization was to treat people that have a substance use disorder. Mm. And I worked with youth for a while. And it was like other three years of my life doing that. And it wasn't until recently that I got into my like dream master's program mm. um, at the University of Washington. So that's kind of how. And doing that, like going to that community college helped me later on to pursue my master's. It was just not the timing, right? Like, I think I was patient enough to to do every step of the way and, and be able to accomplish the things I wanted. Mm. When you were in au pair, yeah. did you have friends? Were you ha- did you have social life or do you just stay at home and just be be told to go back to your country by this time <laughs> no i have friends like my friend that helped me to come here mm, yeah. i was here for a little bit then she went back and came back 
she introduced me to other friends and then I was able to create like an other like au pair community which I think the best thing about being an au pair was mm. the friendships I made because we were all au pairs we were mm. all here living with a family in taking care of kids so we will get together to do play dates with the kids to mm. go to you know one of the other house to spend time we spend Christmas together and Year's Eve it was just like a family I felt that I built mm. and a lot of them were able to stay here same as me like a lot of them have gotten married like I did with Americans and mm -hmm. a lot of them had had kids here so it being like a great opportunity and I feel like without that connection that social piece I don't know if I would have stayed here no there's no it's support so dip there's no support like yeah that's something that I always tell other immigrants and in my podcast like you need to connect to other people you need to connect with other immigrants you need to connect with people that are from the country to mm. like just doing it by yourself is way too hard like I I don't see that as a possibility for myself. Mm, I completely agree. I mean, it's good that you have like friends that are from your country because mm -hmm. it's comfortable, but you also have to have friends that are not from your country. Yeah. Especially for me, I'm very a ad big advocate of making friends with people that quote unquote the locals, you uh, know what I mean? Yeah, 100%. Cuz I feel like if you would you would never feel 100% if you don't have that if you mm -hmm. don't make friends with them. I feel like totally. And I think they show you another side of the country too, right? And our their culture. I feel like a huge part of being an immigrant is, you know, like staying true to who you are, but also learning and opening up to another culture. Or I think at least that has been helpful in my case. Um, you know, to take in new traditions, to take in new cultures to understand that my culture is not the only one, right? And and so that's what's so beautiful of making friends with locals and also people from other countries, like not just staying within your culture and your country because there's not really growth when you do that. Yeah, it's just like living in your country. I mean, it's like, but exactly. you're living in a different country. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Like what's the point of moving? What's exactly? Yeah, you're not really you're not really experienced about the benefits of you know moving to another country. So your friends are multi-ethnic? Yeah, I have a lot of Latin American friends. I have friends from Spain, I have friends from Argentina, from Mexico. Um I have had friends that are from the US. Mm. Like I just feel like Yeah, it's just Venezuelans too. Like that's just impossible not to get us together, <laughs> whatever we're at. Um, you but, yeah, smell each other, whole, but yeah, exactly. <laughs> but now we're like a bigger group and a community, and when we all come together, it's interesting to see that too, right? Somebody's bringing someone from another culture, mm. or someone's bringing in their partners that are sometimes from here, mm. and then they bring their friends, and so it's been like beautiful to. see see that happening and to be able to see myself how I'm able to adapt to that too and to make mm. connections yeah. with people that I thought I couldn't I could never have dreamed of connecting with. That's beautiful. Yeah, you're correct. But to be honest, I'm selfish. The only reason <laughs> I like hooking up with like different ethnicity is the food. 
The food. <laughs> I was going to say his name. Of course. That's why I do it too. <laughs> I what like, else would... Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And the best party when their their family comes to visit them, like yes, their mom. Yeah, yeah. You want to be at their house that mm-hmm. day. You're like, I'm here. Just, you know, <laughs> wanted to say hi. <laughs> exactly. You know, because yeah. the mom or the grandma, they're the one who actually knows how to cook, right? exactly like the authentic yeah. that's what you want the authentic yeah. you don't want that like the half half kind of deal yeah. you know exactly. <laughs> you want the but grandma yeah, killing okay. the chicken in the back there you know what yeah. i mean <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah that's exactly what i'm looking for the whole experience <laughs> exactly so how was your experience going through the community college you're obviously your english has improved was it hard mm-hmm. the american school system how did you find that Yeah, that was definitely hard. I mean, it was just, I don't know if, even to call it hard. I would say it was different. Mm. Um, in a way, I feel like the my experience going to university in Venezuela was even harder. <laughs> even though it was my own language, I think academically, there was more pressure in Venezuela. When I went to a community college, In the U.S., it was kind of like, do whatever you want on your own <laughs> rhythm. If you did it, you did it. And I was like, what's happening? Like, in my other school, they were really, you know, checking on you and seeing if you did things. And here, there's definitely more freedom and independence, which, you know, culturally, you see that too, more in the U.S. compared to Latin America. Um, so that caught me awkward. I was like wait, do I have to submit something tomorrow? Like, nobody reminded me, right? Like, you need to be on your own sort mm-hmm. of thing. So that just takes, like, a little while. I think, like, if you're really committed to do what you want to do, like, I was really passionate about the studies, you get on it. Like, you find your way. Mm-hmm. Um, and the English was tough. Like, <laughs> writing, especially, like, It's really easy for me to speak, obviously, right? Like, that's why mm-hmm. we have a podcast. <laughs> But um, writing was way harder. Um, so I feel like I was like, I'm not going to be able to write so many essays and papers. And, you know, I took English 101 and English 102. And it just, I think, as challenging as it was, I felt like for me it was an opportunity to pursue the dream that I wanted to pursue right so I saw every challenge as an opportunity I was like oh yeah I need to get better at writing but that was my opportunity of being in this country of you know not having to go back and face the struggles that my family was facing so it was a challenge but I made it an opportunity to like learning new things, growing, challenging myself, even the days I didn't want to be challenged. Um, <laughs> and it becomes easier eventually. Like there was a point, like maybe my second quarter, I was already, you know, getting things easier and better and just really enjoying what I was studying. So I think if you go in the the American or if you're an immigrant and you go into school but you don't really like where you're studying it's gonna be very challenging yeah for sure for sure is that when you met your husband yes yeah, so I met my husband online on online dating 
on no my before I started school. So okay. I was like on my first quarter, which it was funny because I was like, I'm going to start school. I can't date. Like I'm going to be studying so much. Mm-hmm. And that's when I met him. <laughs> and so I was like full-time stu- student and just trying to get things done, but also trying to have a social life, which mm-hmm. I think it helped me too have like a balance Mm. um so yeah i met him almost six years ago congratulations so you were think so you were thinking it's either the college diploma or the green card (laughs) right no it's either i go out or i have to study all the time (laughs) i knew i needed to have some sort of fun too you have to you know because for two years you were you know working as a pair i don't think you had enough time to go out right yeah, and I, as I said, like, I felt like we were so together as au pairs. We were going out, but, but you know, it was this kind of weird life of, like, is this where I'm living? Is, are these friends going to stay here? Mm. Uh, we were saying goodbye pretty often, so it was really oh, hard to yeah. get attached. And then, you know, the au pair will go back to their home country because usually that's the idea. <laughs> not to stay like I did. Not not because the staying is bad, but like this program, the idea is to do it for short periods. Mm. So I had to say goodbye to a lot of friends that mm. eventually we stayed friends or some of them came back, but that was really tough. And so entering school, you know, finding my partner, connecting with him, then meeting his family, meeting his friends, all of that started to feel more like I was having a life here. That's awesome. I love and it. And I never, I never felt that before, right? So I was like, okay, I see myself here. Like I'm making, I'm creating these attachments mm-hmm. that are not necessarily with other immigrants, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're gonna also going to leave. So I think that that part of my whole immigration, I think, has been one of my favorite ones because it started to Seattle started to feel like a home. Mm. And I think that's I love that. beautiful when that happens. <laughs> yeah. That how long did it take you? Because for me, it took me like I'll say about not maybe seven to ten years before I'm like, whoa, like I'm home. Uh-huh. I think it took me about three years. Whoa, I think when when I think when I moved in with him and we rented like our apartment and it was like, you know, now we're having these conversations about leaving together and what are we like our future. Hmm. You know, that started to feel more like a home, which as cheesy as it sounds, I feel like home is really not a place per se. Mm-hmm. It, it's really finding that feeling and that connection and and just finding someone that got me and that wanted to have a future like to plan a future that felt like like home if Mm. if i'm making any sense yeah yeah, definition but that that carried over to like being at home in the u.s i'm i'm talking about yeah 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 yeah. so about three years definitely but but again i didn't have anything like I started to feel like home, but this was not my home. You know what I mean? In mm. terms of, I was still an international student. Okay. There's a chance yeah. that you could just be shipped back. Totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There was a chance that I would graduate and couldn't find a way to find a job here or get another visa. Mm-hmm. And so, 
that was always in the back of my mind. And that's really like, I think one of the hardest struggles that I face and that immigrants usually face is like not finding that stability, like mm. not knowing what's going to happen tomorrow. Agree. I and you're agree. working towards this, like I was working towards this degree to work here with that degree, right? To be a counselor. And, but I was like in between excited because I was doing it and then being like, well, if I can stay here, hopefully I can use this somewhere else. Oh, but I'm sure you will. because You it's can US. and you can. Yeah. But it's that, you know, feeling of, yeah, you don't know what's going to happen. It's on the party or on the floor. You exactly. don't know. Exactly. Let's talk about your counseling experience. Yes. You, do you still counsel youth that are in? So I did that until recently when I enter uh, the master's program that I'm mm -hmm. doing right now. It's for social work. Um, so that led me to do this because, yeah, I was a counselor for about three years for youth that were facing substance use disorders. And that was like one of the most amazing experiences I have had, like working with people and just connecting and providing services. I didn't know I was going to be so passionate about it. And I feel so passionate about it that I wanted to continue to create an impact. Um, and, and I started to think even more on the broader like sense of social work as, mm. as a whole. And I applied for this program about a year ago and I started last quarter. So I mm. stopped doing the counseling while I'm going to school right now full time. But do you mind us talking about that experience? Totally. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So anything specific, yeah, that you want to know about it. Yeah. Like what's the age of the kids that you were counseling? So I was counseling. Um, they were students of different high schools in Seattle. So they were from 16, even 13. I had some 13 until 21. So and they're doing drugs and alcohol? And having a disorder, like having issues, not just using it. What yeah. do you mean? Can you explain that? Yeah. So there's a difference in between using substances like, you know, I can drink, I can have a glass of wine tonight mm. or a beer. And that's different from having a disorder. So having a disorder is a substance use disorder is similar from having a mental health disorder, right? Or having a condition like diabetes or cancer, right? It's a condition that's unlikely to be cured, that you have to learn to live with that. And it creates a problem in your life. Like when you use, you either can't stop or you tend to use more than what you intended or it causes social problems or it causes your boss to fire you. Like it has repercussions and mm. you continue to do it regardless of the consequences that's like the definition of an addiction mm -hmm. um and so these were were people that were in the starting point of starting their disorder so what we did was a lot of prevention education and prevention counseling because mm -hmm. ideally you want to tackle this when you're a youth or when mm -hmm. you're a kid mm -hmm. that you see these patterns or behaviors that are starting to form in you talk to them. It's the prevention care, which I feel like 
it's the most important for physical health too. Like if something's starting to hurt, mm. you want to go to the doctor and see what's happening and know when things get really, really um, bad for you. So I did a lot of that. I did a lot of support of students that I was going to different high schools and these were communities of people that were marginalized. So either people of color, other immigrants, um, undocumented folks. And so they were going through so much in their houses <coughs> that that was pretty much what we were talking about. Really, like yeah, when I was course. counseling, it was even more about the drugs they were using and more about the pain they were going through mm. with their lives. So it's hard to see, but there's a huge problem with addiction in Seattle. Oh, wow. But how do you keep, like, not losing your shit or crying in front of these kids? Because I'll be, like, right. bawling. It's really hard. Like, we talk a lot about self-care <laughs> in my profession because you really, and boundaries. I think those mm. are two key things. Mm. Um, any Anyone that's listening and do jobs that, you know, are for either mental health or physical health or jobs that require a lot from you emotionally, I think that you need to set boundaries. And that's what I did, like, you know, turning off my work phone, not checking emails after any specific time, really trying to disconnect, like to say, okay, this is eight to five. And at five, I'm doing something different. I'm doing the podcast. I'm mm. recording an episode. I find ways to think about something different and I'm not going to be available 24-7. Like I had other counselor um, colleagues that didn't have these boundaries. And that's when it becomes an issue because you don't have a personal life anymore. You're devoted to helping the youth and adults too. And they can call you whenever. And, they can, and it's like, you know, you need to keep your mental health as well. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that, like having that mentorship, I had that in my school, like, you need time for yourself. You need self-care. You need a hobby. You need, And that's kind of how the podcast came across for me because I needed to have something else in my life that wasn't just my work because it was very heavy work. Uh, as you said, like how not to cry. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about heavy, but like super heavy. Super heavy, yeah. I, immigration is heavy, but this thing was extra, extra heavy. Mm -hmm. um, and so I wanted to do something more creative and I needed to have that space so I wouldn't mm -hmm. burn out as, you know. That's fast. Mm. What's your favorite part of it? Of being a counselor? Yeah. I think listening. Like, I really enjoy listening and learning from someone else's life perspective. Mm -hmm. um, I think the biggest thing for me is just being able to be there with someone at a specific moment that they really, what people need the most, or maybe I wouldn't say need, but what people... And as a society, we're all really in search is for having someone that can, you know, have some compassion mm. and be there to listen and show some kindness. So mm. those were the things that I enjoy the most, just being present while someone was going through something really hard. And, and when you think about difficult moment in your life, you really go back to who was there for you, not to provide a solution or to fix your problem. But just to be there and say, hey, it's going to be okay, you know, you're not alone. You have all this set of people that are here to help you. And mm -hmm. so that has been one of my favorite parts. And I was able to learn a lot from the culture here, too, from teenagers. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. <laughs> so there was a lot of me asking, like, what do you mean by that? Like, what was that word? Like slang and, and things that I, <laughs> I was like, oh my goodness. Uh, but it was like learning about like what's coming, like walking into a high school in the US. Mm. Like I never did that. And I did it as a counselor going to work and you know I needed to look very professional and I knew where I was going but I was like wow that's this is exactly like in the movies like this high school is like in the movies like <laughs> things don't look like this in Venezuela right like kids wear whatever they want and mm. you know the cafeteria and so like just experiencing that was also interesting for me as a as an immigrant mm-hmm. was there a kid that you were talking and like this guy is going to jail or going to be dead But you said it in your head. You didn't really actually tell to the kid. But there were... <laughs> there were... I mean, there were definitely... Yeah, I, I don't even know if I'm allowed to share this. But yeah, there were definitely difficult situations where I was like, oh, so this job is really real. Mm. Yeah. That but it's part of the work. I mean, it's part of doing community services, right? For sure. But then the other side of it is like seeing a kid from like, you know, from trouble to like killing it. Exactly. To succeeding. Mm -hmm. And that's beautiful, too. Or even seeing someone as I think there's a lot of like we judge people based on what they how they look like or if they do drugs or right. And a lot of it was like then talking to people and being like, we're all the same. Like, mm. I'm the same as this kid. Or I was the same as this kid at that age. Mm. Like, when you really give someone the opportunity to open up, all of those things kind of fall apart. And underneath, mm. there's just a person same as you, you know, going through some challenges and trying to get better. So it was beautiful to see that there was a connection and there was someone that wanted to get better and do something in life so that mm. was pretty completely agree uh, like i always say is all we want is a friend that we can say a sandwich with a beer coffee whatever you have and then a hug that is tight yeah. and somebody will tell us everything's gonna be okay your mom and dad is proud of you be yeah. happy and that won't judge you right like that would say you can say whatever you want and i'm not gonna be like what it's mm -hmm. just gonna be like hey i get it So for sure, for sure. I love I'm not, that definition. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm not gonna compare. I'm not trying to compare, but uh, like as for me, I used to coach basketball, youth basketball, like nice. from I'll say about like 13 to about 15, something like that. Cool. And there are some that like they don't even listen at all. There are some that like you know they're gonna make it. Mm -hmm. And then, but those not those are the ones that are my favorite. My favorite is the one that like they don't listen, yeah. and then you have to find your way for them mm -hmm. to listen. And totally. then, and then when it when you teach them the moves or whatever you have to teach them, and then it works, then they'll give you that look, like it worked. Like it's yeah, like you gain that respect or that. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure it happens like, to you too. Totally. Yeah, it's like oh, I need to. It's almost like that one yeah kid or client that makes you do a little more research and dig in like how can i approach the situation mm. or even a family member or a friend that's not listening to you or that doesn't want to you know take on your advice or it makes you like find different ways and mm. once it clicks you feel proud of <laughs> of your efforts so 
definitely uh, similar. Completely agree. So <laughs> this might be a personal question, but I'm going to ask anyway. Seeing all these troubled kids, do you still want to have kids or do you even have kids? I don't have kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I would just say I wouldn't call them trouble kids. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I just No, no. I would just say because thinking that, of course, it will make you not want to have kids, right? Mm. Um, but as I said, like once I see those behaviors as like the consequence of like, how their life situation's going, I'm like, okay, maybe I really don't know if I want to have kids. But if I do, at least I feel like I have a lot of skills now to mm. deal with teenagers, hopefully, mm. I don't know. Um, and to hopefully provide that support that that I feel like a lot of the ones that start behaving certain ways are lacking, right? Mm. Someone that's there, someone that's listening. So yeah, I don't know, maybe one day. And hopefully it turns out okay. <laughs> yeah, well, if you just do one of these, pray yeah, to God, you know. I feel like it will be interesting to share about that. Like if I ever have kids and I can share that in the platform of the podcast, I think it will be really cool too. Because I love interviewing parents that are immigrants mm-hmm. and seeing how they have raised their kids. And um, I will be interested in asking you about that too, like, because I feel like it has to be like, how do you blend the cultures, right, between yeah. your wife and yours in another country, right? Yeah, I mean, I have two of them, troublemakers, uh, but trouble. They are trouble. <laughs> nice. You know, but yeah, I, I, that's actually actually my, one of my favorite topics: immigrants and raising kids. I love that topic as well. Yeah, yeah. I actually, I have, I, I have spoken to some of the guests that are parents about it, and mm-hmm. I have more that are coming up that are, I would love to talk to them more. Like, how do you find it? Like, I have yeah. my own way, obviously. Right. As an immigrant, and especially with a in a mixed relationship, mm-hmm. like, how do mm-hmm. I find the way? I just yell at yeah. them. That's what I do. <laughs> I want. <laughs> Hey, parents, take note. Um, I wanna, I, I wanna have you in Modern Immigrants so you can oh. talk about that. That would be amazing. It'll be a pleasure. It'll be a pleasure. Let's, let's so, since you mentioned that your yeah. amazing podcast, and I was listening to one of the podcasts that you were on, but I love that you said something like, "Maybe you're not ready to speak up, but listen to someone else's story and connect." I was like, "Yo, girl, what's up? What's up?" Let's do it. <laughs> I love that. Can you expand Mm -hmm. that? Can you explain it more? Yeah, I feel like, I don't know, there's sometimes, I would speak for myself, like sometimes I felt a pressure to, you know, address certain issues, um, especially as an immigrant, right? Like there's things that happened and you're feeling like, okay, maybe this is not okay. Maybe I'm alone in this. Maybe... Even as, as a simple example of like when you have a job and you're an immigrant and, and you don't know how what's right, what's not, right? Like as a nanny in an au pair situation. And I think that it's really important to be to show some compassion to yourself in terms of you're being in, in a new situation, you're an immigrant, you're away from home, you're away from mm-hmm. everything you learned. You, you know, you're reshaping and redefining how things work. So it's okay if you don't feel ready to speak up, right? It's okay if you don't feel ready. And I, I don't remember what was the context in which I say this, but I do hold on to that pretty, like, 
um, I don't know, like, I believe that we're not all going to be ready at the same time mm-hmm. to, like, speak up and advocate for yourself. It's beautiful when it happens and when you can say, hey, I'm ready to share my story. But you're not always going to be there. Mm-hmm. You're not always going to be ready to share your story, especially when you're going through it. Like, it became easier for me to have these conversations after I had been here for nine years. I don't know if I had, was going to be able to share this and talk about my challenges when I was in my first year or my first month. But listening to people that are going through the same, listening to people that are ready to share their story, that are ready to share their journeys can be as helpful as speaking up about it, right? Because mm-hmm. you're seeing yourself represented in a way, which I think that's another topic that I'm very passionate about, like finding that representation finding that other person that also left their country or that emigrated or is applying for a job or it's trying to go to school like I did and hearing that they found you know bumps in the road they were told no they were told go back to your country they were told different things and and they were able to overcome that and you hear that and it just changes everything at least for me and, mm-hmm. and I think you that have a podcast as well, you can see how that impacts people. Even for you, like for me, like starting the interviews has been already powerful. Just mm-hmm. listening to someone else. Um, sharing it is another step, right? Because you already know that you're impacting other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the main message that I always get with the podcast is I didn't know I was not like the only one. Yes. That's like the main, right? Don't you get yes. the same? Like, me too. I'm, I'm not a, like, yeah, maybe I'm not fixing the situation. Um, maybe we're not fixing all the problems we're going through, but we're finding support. And mm-hmm. we talked about that earlier, right? Mm-hmm. How huge is to have support system, um, not only when you're an immigrant, but in your life in general. 100, 100 for sure. I, I completely agree. Like some of my guests, when I started, were most of them are my friends. And I tell them like, yo, yeah, you got to come on. And they'll be like, I don't have a story. What are you talking about? We all do. Yeah. And then I tell and then they come on, thankfully. And they're like, I guess I have a story to tell. Hells, yeah, you do. You think I'm going to invite you if you're boring? <laughs> exactly. We all have a story to tell and we have no idea who we are going to impact with their story. Yeah. You have no idea. You have no idea who you're impacting right now. Mm. Like with your example, with your story, mm. with the things you're doing. Um, and so I feel like that's what motivates me to keep doing it because mm. I know it's going to have an impact even if I know it or if I don't. Yeah. Right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's the best is when they and when the listeners or someone reaches out and they'll be like, yeah. "Yo, you're such an inspiration," and I'm like, "Don't no, not not me, dude, not exactly. me." Exactly. <laughs> I feel the same way, but that doesn't happen always either, right? Like, I feel like it's great when it happens, but it's also important to remember that it's happening. Mm. It, it, not necessarily verbally. Maybe no one's re- like how many things you don't come across in your day that may inspire you or spark Mm. something on you and you don't necessarily reach out to that person Mm. right and so it's always knowing that when you're putting out some work or you know doing something it's really it's going to have a consequence in in others that are watching 
Exactly. I, I agree, agree. Speaking of consequences, have you <laughs> ever considered a guest that is anti-immigration? Yes, but <laughs> I, I haven't. But my husband has told me that I should because I think he, he has really supported me in like ideas for the podcast. And I'm always listening to his perception because he's not an immigrant. And so mm. I feel like that's also important, right? Like yeah, I want eventually, I think my podcast is most listened from, for immigrants, but a lot of the episodes, and I feel like you have probably the same, you want non-immigrants to also listen to. Mm. It's like, I wish they are learning this about us. Mm-hmm. Um so I pay attention to his feedback and he has told me that like, you should bring someone that's maybe anti-immigration, but I don't know if I'm ready, you know, really? maybe I need to, maybe I need to apply the, um, that if you're not ready, at least listen to someone, <laughs> maybe, maybe you invite an anti-immigration. I will, I'll talk have to you? him. I, I yeah. don't, I haven't, but I would like to have one. I know or, some, or, yeah. I know some people they're not friends. They're acquaintance, I guess, that are like, you know, like borderline. Like, what exactly. You, like, what are you talking about here, bro? What are you talking about here? And then yeah. they'll say, you know, those immigrants, this and that. I'm like, I'm yeah, immigrant. I what am. are you talking about? And then yeah. they'll say, well, not you. You're different. You're good. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I hate when they say that, when they see you as different. It's like, no, we're in the same boat but you with your biases and stereotypes are like separating people so yeah I I feel like I don't know I feel like creating a space for immigrants is so rare these days like what we do just like space where immigrants can feel welcome mm. like there are not that many spaces like this Mm-hmm. out in the world right where people can openly talk about these things and i'm talking to you about my experiences and you're getting me right you're mm-hmm. like yeah i you know it's like we have some sort of a connection mm-hmm. and i feel like it's so hard to find that in in a daily kind of life situation that bring in someone that's gonna disrupt that i don't know if i'm ready like i would love to have the idea um as an opportunity, but I, I only want to receive people that bring something positive mm-hmm. to the table, to the conversation. There's a lot of people saying terrible things out there <laughs> about immigration. That's like not good. Yeah, I understand. I mean, I would have not mind because I'm looking for the conversation. Obviously, as long as the guests yeah. would be willing to speak, you know, respectfully. clearly, respectfully, you know, with a uh, drawn out ideas not just like well you know immigrants still you know what i mean like i don't need that totally yeah in that boundary yes and i would love to yeah listen to what other people have to say or what are their fears about immigration and i think that's why i started the immigration is good project because i wanted to like share positive things about immigration like mm-hmm. what you're doing what nonprofit organizations are doing because I feel like people don't know this about immigrants necessarily, that we're contributing so much. Yeah, um, yeah, I agree. There's so much that they don't see. Most businesses are owned by immigrants. Yeah. Like little, like little statistics like that. For some reason, it's, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's being suppressed by the media or whatever else, but it's just not out there. It's not, and we know it. It's just not 
easy for those that are so anti-immigration to see. And if they see it, they will give you an explanation, right? Like they try to rationalize it, like, well, they are good immigrants or whatever. Like, again, it's the same, right? So, yeah, it's interesting. That's an interesting question. Nobody has asked me that before. Oh, that's my pleasure. Anyways, I think we're there. But before we close out, I want to ask you, what is the thing you are proudest of so far and why? Goodness, those questions are good. What I'm most proud about? Um, I think I'm really proud of how I have been able to handle difficulties throughout my life and how happy and in peace and, and how much I have been able to yeah, accomplish. Like, I'm really proud of the position where I am today. I'm proud of the podcast. I'm proud of the life I have built in the US. I'm proud of my family. Like, I'm proud of just being able to maintain so many things that were important for me, Hmm. even like against, right? Like, everything that was happening. I'm proud of the friendships I have been able to um, gain. And... Yeah, just like kind of where I am today, trying to be more present. And I think that's where I'm more proud of today. Beautiful. Again, Vero, thank you for coming on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. I appreciate the invitation. I'm really passionate about having these conversations and more of this conversation. So thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Have a good evening. Bye. Bye. Again, Vero, thank you for coming on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Thank you, listeners, for listening. This is Erin Yosa for An Immigrant's Life. I'll see you guys later.